Hello everyone, welcome to the third episode of our podcast series, Pieces of Wisdom. Today, Finn Randall and I interviewed Troy Grant about his personal thoughts on leadership and his experiences as a police officer. Troy Grant is full of interesting stories that shocked and surprised us. He had a very interesting piece of wisdom for us that we think you'll enjoy. Thank you, Mr. Grant, for taking the time to talk to us as we understand you have a great deal to do. We're very grateful for your time and it's an honour to interview you. It's uh, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time and interest. So where were you born? I was born in Maitland, New South Wales, which is near Newcastle. My uh, father was at the police academy doing his secondary training. Uh, My mother and father were living in Sydney uh, where he was stationed at the time. So my mum went to be with my um, dad's parents and uh, I was born unexpectedly when dad was doing his training. But most of my family were dairy farmers in the Maitland area, places called uh, Allenbrook and Vasey and and, uh, Patterson. So uh, that's the area I sort of call home, although I haven't lived uh, in that area a lot throughout my life. Could you please describe your childhood to us? Uh, I was a a country boy. Uh, My dad was a policeman, as I said. My mum was a nurse, uh, so we transferred around a little bit. So after Sydney, uh, we left Sydney when I was uh, about 18 months old, so I was only pretty young, and we moved to Moree. I went to Moree and uh, was there for about three years, and my twin sisters were born there, but I lost one of the twins as a baby, so I grew up with just one sister, and then when I was uh, four, uh, we moved to a place called Katingle near Tamworth, uh, where my dad was the one-man station there. My mum was a nurse in aged care, and uh, I did all my primary schooling at Katingle Public School, a little village school, before I went to Oxley High in Tamworth uh, to do my senior school. Uh, what's one of the highlights from your childhood? Uh, there's lots, I guess. I had a, uh, a family that was a, a little dysfunctional. My dad got injured uh, when he was at work. He got kidnapped and tortured. Uh, so he had a lot of health issues. And uh, my mum had some mental health issues from her childhood. She was uh, abused and, and lived in poverty. So she, they had a bit of a tough time. So a lot of, um, the, of the village community um, sort of, I was always at their house, uh, sleeping at their place or hanging out with my mates. So. There's an old saying that um, kids are often raised by the village. Uh, that was certainly the case. So we had lots of family friends and I spent a lot of time at other people's houses. Uh, lots of camping. Uh, I used to ride a lot of horses. I used to go uh, shooting and hunting, that sort of stuff as a kid and lots of time at the river. Uh, so that was uh, my childhood and lots and lots of sport. So I did lots of sport, lots of swimming, cricket, soccer, rugby league, hockey uh, when I was growing up. Did you enjoy schooling when you were younger? Uh, I I didn't do as well as I should have at school. I guess I got there was a lot of distractions at home which didn't allow me to concentrate. I didn't have uh, a lot of mentoring when I was growing up, so I had to try to work it out by myself. So I liked the idea of school, but I didn't apply myself. Most of my uh, school reports would always say, uh, Troy's got the ability if he just tried harder. Uh, so I wish I had done better at school. I regret not concentrating more, and my school years were pretty much dominated by my interest in sport. Uh, I loved history. 
uh, at school, ancient history, and I did well in the subjects where I liked the teacher and the subjects where I didn't get on great with the teacher. I probably didn't pay as much attention, which is my fault, not their fault. Um, did you know what you wanted your career to be when you were a young child? No, I had lots of ideas. Uh, the first thing I wanted to be was a pilot. I wanted to be a jet pilot, but I was too tall. I was in the Air Force cadets uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I was too tall and not smart enough with physics and maths, uh, so that didn't pan out. Then I wanted to be an architect, and I used to do a lot of drawing. So when I was in school, in high school, I used to be a cartoonist, and I did three-unit art at, at high school, and I created my own comic book character called Reg, and I wrote a comic book uh, as my major art prize with... Um, uh, the storyboards that they call as well. And I liked art history and uh, ancient history was probably my favourite subjects. So that's where my interest lied. And then I thought, well, I could be a cartoonist as a job, but it didn't pan out. Uh, there's not a lot of money in it. Uh, so I love photography as well and with the art. Uh, then I did work experience at Channel 9 and 8 TV at Tamworth, which is now Prime 7. And I did work experience there when I was 15 and continued that on till after I left school. And so I was a cadet cameraman in the newsroom at Channel TCN 9 and 8 um, before uh, my best friend at the time talked me into applying to join the police force with him. Uh, I never wanted to be a policeman because I saw what my dad went through and didn't really think that was a job for me. But I liked the idea of joining the police because I was familiar with it. And when the jobs in the TV industry dried up, it was it was hard to hold a job. Um, I decided to apply. I got in and he, he missed out and he became a groundkeeper and I became a policeman, sort of by accident. Um, did you want to be an artist? Because you, you were talking a lot about photography and cartoons. Yeah, I, look, if I had been good enough or there was an actual job uh, to, to do cartoonist work, I, I possibly could have landed up there. So... Uh, and I really like photography, so I thought about being a foreign correspondent as well. Uh, once I was in TV, because I learned how to be a cameraman, I thought I might be able to combine um, a bit of journalism with uh, the, the camera work. So I had a few different interests. I, interests. I wasn't overly committed to any, and when you're 18 and, you're, and you've got lots of different options, uh, it's hard to decide. And there's way more options now than there was when I was growing up. So uh, I, I think I'd be really confused if I tried to pick a job now. How did your career begin? In uh, politics, it was over a cup of coffee. I uh, was uh, 40 years old. I just had a holiday over to Fiji with my family. And I just finished doing an international leaders course for policing at the Australian Institute of Police Management. So I was looking at things outside the square. So I was looking at different opportunities in law enforcement or international opportunities. And I was offered a secondment to China uh, to help them develop community-based policing strategies. Because I had a, um, I was renowned or well-known for my community policing work uh, in the New South Wales Police Force. So I was considering that, took my family overseas because uh, my kids were only little, about eight, eight and eleven at the time, to see if they would like an international experience. And um, I came back, and one of my former bosses had recommended me to a parliamentarian, and uh, that was Thomas George, who's the 
Deputy Speaker of the Parliament, and Duncan Gay, who used to be the Roads Minister. So they came down to speak to me, and I had a coffee with them uh, on the request of my former boss, and they floated the idea with me. I wasn't really interested, and they asked me to think about it. Uh, I was sort of more interested in following an international job opportunity at the time. Uh, I spoke to my wife, and I didn't think she'd like the idea, but she said I should think about it, and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, so uh, when we were considering it, I then spoke to the Commissioner of Police, who I used to work for, Andrew Scipioni, and he said to me, uh, I've always been a person who wanted to serve my community. That's where my interest laid in policing. He said, if you go into politics, you can potentially do that on a larger scale than you can as, as a policeman. And he said, you might as well have a go because you've got nothing to lose because if I hadn't won the election, I would have stayed, still been a policeman and uh, pursued those other opportunities. But I ended up winning and, and eight years later, here I am. Um, what do you think the best role for police in a community is? I think the community engagement side of policing, so the crime prevention uh, is the most uh, rewarding. Uh, I don't think any policeman enjoys uh, arresting people or going to violent offences. If they can do something to prevent crime, it's always more rewarding. But the reality is that it's unavoidable. Um, bad things happen in our community. Bad people do bad things and the police are there to deal with that. And that's a, that's a rea realistic part of the job. So uh, I think the crime prevention, having programs to get kids out of crime or youth diversion programs, uh, education-type programs and awareness programs are probably the most rewarding. And that's where I always enjoyed my work the most, I guess. So I was known for creating uh, programs like Adopt the Cop that went nationally, was adopted and then endorsed by uh, what they call the... Uh, ATSIC, uh, which is the Aboriginal Torres Strait Island Commission back in its day. So it went to different states. It's still running today in, in uh, a lot of police commands. And then later on in my career, I uh, invented a thing called iProud, which is a recruitment program for Aboriginal people to join the police. So lots of those sorts of things, lots of community initiatives, fundraising, charity. That's what I spent a lot of my time doing uh, outside of work hours after I did my normal police work. Um, can you tell us a challenging moment from your career in policing? Oh, geez, how long's the interview? Mm -hmm. I've, got, I've got lots of examples. What would what interests you most? Challenging how? Like that tested you. That tested me. Oh, geez, over twenty two years, there's lots of examples. So, uh, I guess the ones that I'll give you a couple of examples. So, the ones that test you that are like the yucky jobs to do is going to car crashes uh, where people have been hurt or seriously injured uh, or have died and you've got to deal with the, the trauma and, and that and the ugliness. So that, that's challenging uh, psychologically because they're like images you can't get out of your mind and, and you worry about those sorts of things. Uh, I got stabbed uh, when I was working one time and, and beaten up with another officer by 12 people. So... Uh, they were trying to kill us, so that was challenging. Uh, then there's just the the pressures, I guess, of when you're working in a country community, there's a lot of expectation on you to to uh, be all things to all people. So that comes with a, a lot of pressure at times as well. But the most challenging thing is doing anything where kids are hurt. 
that's always the hardest thing to to deal with, especially after you have kids yourself. Um, so I did a lot of work in child sexual assault. Um, I was the one that uh, uncovered the child pedophilia in Maitland, Newcastle Catholic Diocese and the cover-up that happened there. So that was really hard and challenging to see um, people who were young boys at the time assaulted and they the same age as me who had reported it to me as a man and then reliving and understanding the impact that that assault had on their lives. That was very, very challenging and, and I still have... Uh, relationships with those victims today um, so when they are still struggling they they call me and it gives you an understanding how big the impact of the crime is so that's always tough and how did you win the commissioner's com- commendation for courage i got two so which one both of them okay uh first one there was like a riot situation where there was about 250 cranky people who tried to storm into a hotel to attack a couple of individuals who had barricaded themselves inside. So myself and another policeman, we blocked the entrance and the crowd kept charging us with sticks and bodies and kicking and punching. And so we protected the people inside for a long time until we got back up and after many hours, they eventually penetrated and got in and and, uh, there was a big fight and we saved some people's lives. So end up with some broken ribs and some bumps and bruises out of that. So I got a commissioner's commendation for courage for that one. And the second one was when I got stabbed. Um, The 12 people who attacked two of us tried to take our gun, uh, my gun off me, uh, with the purpose of shooting me and other people. So I held onto my gun and stopped that from happening and and got seriously assaulted as a result and then protected other people when a a big mob arrived. So that was the, the second time. Very brave. Wrong place, wrong time, and, and unlucky. As Minister for Police, what's the main priority in your job? Well, it's, it's a very complex job, so uh, it's a really important job. So at the base level, all the, the day-to-day things is to look after the police to make sure there's enough of them, that they have enough money to buy the things they need to keep the community safe and also they have the, the laws that they need to protect the community. That, that's the major part of the job. And then there's specialist parts of the job. So you would have heard of counter-terrorism or, or terrorist stuff. So when there's a, a terrorist plot at play, then I have responsibility to authorise certain actions under the law. So I get briefed when there's counter-terrorism operations on and then I have to concur with the legal aspect of those operations. So that's often complex. And I get phone calls all times of the day and night about serious incidents or when there's a police shooting or there's a critical incident. Uh, so there's a lot of um, dealing with crisis or, or high, uh, high profile sorts of offences or investigations as well. And I have a relationship across the world. So I work with police in America, New Zealand, Canada, uh, Europe, through Europol. Uh, Singapore, so New Zealand. So there's lots of international relationships as well. So it's a, it's a big job, but it's uh, an important one and I'm very proud to have the role. What's the biggest change that needs to happen for Australia to improve and grow? Oh, that's a very good question. I think Australia at the moment, uh, in my view, 
isn't being as good or kind to itself as it should be. I think there's a lot of internal fighting going on um, at the political level, uh, at the community level, and I'm not sure it's all in the greater good of our country or our community. So I'd like to see more cooperation because we have so much to offer and so much uh, opportunity to join together to make our community, our state and our country better. But people are putting their own self-interest first before the community's interest, which I think is the greatest opportunity being missed. What does justice personally mean to you? What does justice personally mean to me? Everyone's got a lot a right to live uh, free and without causing nuisance or harassment to somebody else. So if that happens to you, having someone held to account for it and you being um, okay at the end of it, that's what justice is about. Um, often that means just stopping an argument and having it mediated so people don't annoy you. Or it could be that someone's charged and in prison because they've done something horribly wrong to you uh, and you get a just result. So justice is a fair outcome for someone that uh, is impinged upon, is my definition. What motivated you today to become member for Dubbo? I'm motivated just to do more for Dubbo than what the, the last government was providing. Uh, we had two wonderful local members who were what they call independent, so they weren't, didn't belong to a political party. And they worked really hard for our area, but the government of the day uh, didn't value country areas as much as they should, and they promised our community things that we should have had, most notably a, a new hospital. And at the time in 2011, I think the people were sick of being ignored and didn't matter how hard the two independents worked, uh, the government was ignoring them. So my motivation was to get into government so they couldn't ignore our pleas anymore and to do the things that the community wanted us to do. So I made what they call election commitments. So I said, if you elect me, I will do these things. And there was 23 of them. And I'm proud to say that we delivered every one of them, the, the biggest ones being the Dubbo Hospital, stages one and two. Uh, the Parks Hospital, Forbes Hospital, um, some road intersections and, and many community infrastructure things. So it was about making sure the government kept their promises and my position was that we have to have a seat in government because they can ignore you otherwise and we'd been ignored for too long in my view and, and Dubbo was out of sight, out of mind and I wanted to make us important to government again, which uh, hopefully I've done. Were you in charge of... Um building the road that stretches back from Boundary Road to the St. John's, is it St. John's? I, I had a part in it. Not, I, I've never built anything, which is good because I'm very hopeless at building. So I'll leave that up to the experts. But my job's to advocate for the money and then to secure the money for whoever's in charge of the project. So Dubbo Regional Council are in charge of the project and they asked me, to get them some money. They needed $8 million for the Boundary Road extension stage one, which we got, and that's the one that's being built now. Now they need another $8 million for stage two to take it all the way to Sheridan Road. So that's what we're working on at the moment. Um, what is the biggest contribution that you've been able to make? 
That's a really good question. I get asked that a fair bit. Uh, people expect me to say the hospital or this road or the Institute of Sport we're building or funding for schools or those sorts of stuff. Uh, I actually look at it two ways. So the biggest, I think, contribution I make and I hope what my legacy is as I leave politics is that I've made Dubbo important. So government think about Dubbo to invest in things or to hold things or to trial things before they think of anywhere else in regional New South Wales. So I've, I used to use the saying that we're out of sight, out of mind. I think that I've made Dubbo front of mind or important again. And I think that's shown by the level of investment that's happened. But the most important thing I think has been a lot of individual things that we've um, been able to do. So when I came into um, be the candidate, the Labor government had shut down uh, an organisation called Dowwood and they were located in Sydney where they would help um, boys and girls who couldn't read or write and had learning difficulties get up to standard and, and overcome whether it was a health or a an education or learning difficulty. They would help them uh, raise their standards. So I met a young boy and his mum who were from Coonabarabran and they asked me if I got elected, would I advocate and get Dowwood re-established? I didn't know a lot about it, so I asked my colleagues and then with the member for Tamworth, Broken Hill, the Minister for Education, Adrian Pickley, and a couple of other members, we came up with a plan to bring back Dowwood. So, and we did that, but it's now called the Centre for Effective Reading. Uh, and it's also now not just in Sydney, but there's offices here in Dubbo and one in, in um, Tamworth as well, and one at Broken Hill, I think. So what happened out of that is about Three years after, uh, the little boy who was taller uh, obviously had grown a bit and his mum came into the office and I'd sort of remembered them but didn't quite remember and she said, did I have a few minutes? And they came into this very room here and he sat down and, and read me a story. And when I first met him, he couldn't read a, couldn't read a word. So to see that difference in their lives and, and having some sort of contribution makes you feel really proud, I guess, and and all the money in the world and the bricks and mortar doesn't mean anything if people's lives don't change or get better. But that was something that we did where that little boy's now got a life and a future and I was pretty proud of that. If someone was running for your position, what advice would you give them to help them? Uh, well, I've been asked that question too because there's a few people running uh, who I know well for Parliament. My biggest advice is this job's never about them it's not about me, it's always about the community. So everything they do, they have to be doing it in the community's interest, not their own interest. And the thing I've always done is being honest with my community. Even if it's not the news they want to hear or it's bad news, you're better being honest. Because uh, I've seen when people tell people what they want to hear and they actually get a worse outcome because their expectations are up, they get more disappointed when it doesn't happen. So if you know it's not going to happen or it's unlikely, you're better off being honest. Even if you agree with them what the issue is, if you don't think it's going to happen, you're better off being honest with them. So honesty is the best policy and that's the best advice I can give to anyone. What are your plans for the future? I don't know. That's the most common question I've had in the last month. Uh, so I, I'm a, a Minister of the Crown, so there's rules about what I can do next or not do. So I have to sit down with the parliamentary ethics advisor and, and uh, have a clear understanding of what that is uh, before I start 
uh, looking at jobs for the future. So I don't know at the moment. Um, I haven't got a job lined up or I haven't been promised a job or had anything organised. I decided to retire um, to spend more time with my family. I'd been in the public um, service and public profile for 30 years, and that's a long time. I spend over 200 nights away from home, uh, which is a lot of time to miss your family and, and your kids growing up. So I'd had enough of that and just wanted to do something different, but I haven't worked it out yet. So if you've got any ideas, I'd love to hear them. And uh, I just hope I get to do something that continues to contribute back to my community. I'm not sure what that'll be, but hopefully it'll be an exciting new chapter of my life. Um, what's the biggest challenge you've faced as being a politician? Uh, the biggest issue everyone talks about is uh, the greyhound issue. So that's when we sought to ban the greyhounds uh, because of their unwillingness to reform big problems in their industry and their capacity not to be able to fix it or not even want to fix it. So that brought a lot of um, vitriol towards me, uh, lots of things against my family. So my family had death threats. We had to have um, policemen following us around. We had security guards at our house. We had to get our house fortified because the threats were, were pretty nasty. So that was the toughest um, period in politics but the most frustrating thing was that we were not ever allowed to explain our decision fully or people didn't give us the chance to explain why we had made that decision. And then it all got twisted with the media and people said it was about things that it wasn't about. We got accused of doing things that we didn't do. So that's where the media really came in and twisted it. Uh, so I think the decision, whilst it had its genuine merits, we didn't do it very well. We didn't explain it well enough at the beginning and then it got out of control and there was a lot of people hurt uh, as a result of the decision. The ones who were hurt most were my family and that's something I deeply regret and uh, very remorseful for. Do you have any regrets about your career choices? No, I, I, uh, I'm very grateful. I get to do a valedictory speech on the 14th of November, so in the Parliament. And my speech will all be about uh, how grateful I am for the opportunities I've had. And I've had a, a lot of help uh, from a lot of people, whether they be my fellow parliamentarians, members of the community or my staff over the years. And we've achieved a lot of great things for Dubbo electorate, the communities, individuals and the state as a whole. And I feel really privileged to have had that opportunity. Uh, so no regrets. Some days aren't all easy, uh, but not a single day of regret. Just I'm very appreciative of the privileged opportunity I've had and I'm very grateful. So in the same in policing, um, there were some really dark days and tough days, but I don't regret a single day. Uh, I didn't expect to be a policeman, never wanted to be for a long time growing up or anything like that. So I just feel lucky that circumstances where they were that I fell into policing and uh, I had a wonderful career, great opportunities, great friends and uh, yeah, loved every minute of it, even the very, very tough days. And could you tell our listeners one piece of wisdom that you wish you had at our age? At your age? At our age. Uh, life's a long journey, it's not a sprint. So you don't have to achieve everything in a hurry 
you need to manage your own expectations of yourself and life and just always do the best you can. Uh, opportunities will come along in your life. Make sure you grab the opportunities because you never know where they're going to lead you. So I never thought I'd be a policeman, but the opportunity was there and I end up having a great career. I didn't think I'd be a politician or want to do it for a long time, but it, it came along and it's given me the most wonderful opportunities. I, I know famous people. I've had a meeting with the President of China, the Prime Minister of India, famous movie people, famous business people, famous sporting stars, um, and been able to do lots of great things. So I would never in my wildest dreams think uh, any of that would be possible. Uh, and it's all possible just because I took the opportunities when they were there and uh, I always did them for the right reason. And if you do them for the right reason, then, you know, I, I think you ultimately um, get the chance to do good and you get the chance to do some remarkable things in your life. Thank you again for taking the time to come and talk to us. We very much appreciate your wise words of wisdom. You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. Good luck with your project and all your schooling. I wish you both well. Thank you.